This is Nate Hansen and Tim Ritter. We are Almost Heretical. You can find us online at almostheretical.com. Welcome back to Almost Heretical. This is a pretty special episode because this week we had the privilege of hosting a conversation with five different women. Yeah, and when we scheduled the conversation, obviously we just had to take everybody's schedule into account and try to find a time that would work for everybody. Uh, But fittingly, actually, we ended up uh, recording this past Sunday on Women's Equality Day, uh, which this year is the 98th anniversary of the passing of the 19th Amendment, uh, which eventually gave women the right to vote in the United States. So uh, I think it's it's fitting and uh, a bit ironic that here we are having a conversation about Christianity and women's role in church and marriage relationships uh, nearly 100 years after uh, the beginning of sort of the women's empowerment in the U.S. Yeah, and another thing that's cool is that our moms actually took part in this conversation. So, hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. All right, we are going to play that conversation for you now. Uh, but let's just let everyone introduce themselves and uh, jump into the conversation. Well, I'll, I'll go first. Um, my name's Julia. I live in San Francisco. Um, my husband and I got married about 10 years ago in May and moved to San Francisco seven years ago. Um, that's actually where I met Tim and we uh, were in a small group with he and Mo pre uh, Monique being a Ritter back when she was still uh, um, his girlfriend. Um, and then we were also in a church with um, Nate briefly at Francis Chan's house. And um, I would say just to kind of, as a identifier, um, raised in the church, uh, very evangelical uh, church. My mom is very, I think she would identify as charismatic. Um, so lots of comfort with things of the Holy Spirit in our home. Um, I, I, I don't identify as evangelical anymore, but I never, I'm very much a believer. Um, it's one of those things where that's like a very true thing about my life that, uh, as much as it's hard for me to reckon with my identity, the fact that that's the most true thing in my life. Um, and so that is kind of my place. So I, I would say I'm not churched, but I, um, I am definitely a believer and uh, like looking for ways to follow Christ through that. So that's kind of a little bit about me. Well, I will jump in. I am Ada Ritter, Tim's mom. And um, I kind of came to this conversation from um, listening to Tim and Nate on their podcast for the last, I don't know how many, six months, nine months, however long it's been going on. I um, came to, I guess it's called evangelical church, and this is where I need some clarity as the difference between an evangelical uh, church versus Protestant church. I never really used that term very much evangelical myself, Um, but I've been in the church for 30 plus years, um, and I'm not sure how to else describe that. I feel, I've felt myself to be coming more progressive in my thought process in the last few years and even more so in listening to Tim and um, Nate and I'm interested in hearing this conversation but I questioned Tim as to the value I would bring to it so I'm curious to see where this is all going to go tonight thank you 
Well, maybe I'll jump in now as the other mom. I'm Molly Hansen. I'm Nate's mom. And I'm right there with you, Ada. I question what in the world I would have to contribute here. But um, I have been in church, in fact, in the same church uh, for 55 years. Um, and even deeper than that, my great-grandmother was a charter member of that church. So the roots run uh, really deep there. And I also would struggle with classifying myself anywhere. I'm, I'm not particularly fond of being classified as one thing or another. Um, so I, I'm not going to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, you know, I've learned a lot listening. I haven't agreed with everything. But I'm very eager to hear other people's experiences that would lend validity to what I'm hearing. So, hi, I'm Emily. Um, I live in San Francisco, but today I'm in Montreal at my dad's house. And um, I met Tim through our discipleship group. Uh, let's see, I have identified as evangelical um, for about 20 years, but as of um, the most recent election, I stopped identifying as evangelical, although I consider myself orthodox in my belief system. Um, and I also used to work with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, um, which really has an egalitarian theology within the organization. So I think I've been really influenced by how they do things there. So that really colors my, my view of this conversation. Hi, I'm Julianne. Um, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> um, I've been married 33 years. Um, I've been in the church, uh, well, I was raised in the Catholic and Baptist church, back and forth kind of thing with, because of my parents. Uh, from 15 on, I was in a, uh, I guess, charismatic um, church. Um, when I got married, I ditched Catholicism. Um, and my husband and I were really strong Christians. We eventually ditched the charismatic stuff and went to um, more fundamental. Um, I was a homeschool mom for 23 years. I have seven children. Um, if you've heard of Full Quiver, I kind of was into that. Um, so I have a lot of um, history with the homeschool movement that, or the Christian homeschool movement and with patriarchy. And uh, my husband still believes that, and I absolutely do not. And that has uh, created um, a lot of hardship in our family. Um, so I, I also, um, we came from a church that was spiritually abusive. Um, and it, I call it a cult now. And when I started talking about my church online, my spiritual abuse experience, my pastor sued me and uh, four others for $500,000 and I just continued blogging and um, I, I deal a lot with with women who have um, had a similar background as me, um, especially in the homeschool movement and in certain groups of Protestantism, I guess, is that a word? <laughs> so, you know, a fun, fundamentalist, I guess. So I, I've seen a lot of harm done and, um, 
I've ever since going to a, um, what is it? CBE, ever since going to one of their conferences and, and reading, um, I've gone the other direction now and I'm, I feel very comfortable now, even on Twitter saying, <laughs> I'm, I don't believe that, uh, women need to, um, you know, submit under a spiritual headship, that, that type of thing. I don't believe that anymore. Um, so I'm pretty vocal about that now. And I'm thankful for Nate and Tim because what they're doing is just, oh my goodness, it is so important. And I think a lot of it's because women, you know, haven't seen this stuff. So anyway, thank you guys. Just, I know I've said it before, but really thank you again. So that's, that's me. <laughs> I'm going to confess that I did not do the pre-work. Um, I went to an Indian wedding this weekend, <laughs> so I was a little bit, um, out of, out of my normal routine. So I don't know if there's maybe some thought starters or, or kind of like a couple of things you guys might be able to share with us um, that might help those of us in the back row. Well, I think I, um, in the last um, six, is it, how many, how many have there been six um, podcasts? Um, for me, what it's done is I'm looking at Paul through different lens. And, you know, before I was looking at Paul as he was trying to, it seemed like he was trying to limit women in what they could and could not do. And he also, it seemed like he was saying that women had a certain in society and in the home. And really that's what I've been hearing for so many years from the pulpit. So I think what's been going on the last six weeks has been just extremely eye-opening because now I'm seeing that Paul was not just, was not limiting women. He was actually opening the doors wide open for them. And he was treating women with respect and dignity, um, just like Jesus did. So that to me, it, it's life-changing. And, and I think if, um, people got a hold of that truth, um, we would see a different church. Julie, I cannot agree with you more. These last six episodes of the whole gender series that Tim and Nate have gone through have changed my perspective of Paul entirely. In fact, um, I'm in a study of Romans right now with some girlfriends. It's an all-women study. And even just sometime in the last two months, I verbalized out loud, I don't like Paul. I'm struggling with this. And yet hearing what Tim's perspective and the the, um, the scholarly effort that Tim and, and Nate have put into really looking at Paul's words has changed my perspective entirely. Whereas I viewed Paul's epistles with disdain and there were parts I really couldn't even read and I would just have to gloss over. I can now look at this with a newfound respect. And I really appreciate that because I would just have to gloss over those, um, especially at the place I'm in in my life right now. Very hard to hear what many churches are saying, Paul is saying about towards women. So I, I just wanted to add, um, maybe this is adding to my introduction, but I'm, I'm, I, I want to speak to what I've heard in this uh, series on gender, 
but I feel like I need to back up a little bit and say that um, I feel like I'm in a in a different place maybe than uh, than you've been, Julianne. Some of our stories could be just like hand in hand as far as uh, married almost 34 years, homeschooling mom for many years, still am. Um, but my personal experience has been um, both both in the church and in my marriage. Uh, in fact, I, okay, I have to even say the terms uh, egalitarian and complementary, I say it for me, complementarianism. Is that, am I saying it right? Anyway, the opposite. Yeah. I didn't even really, I mean, I, I didn't know there were two ways of looking at it because there was, there was only one way that I ever heard. And yet at the same time, uh, my husband and I didn't, didn't really live it that way in a, we lived it in a very, um, very much, uh, a teamwork, very much, uh, uh, go with your strengths, you know, you're strong here. So you lead here and you're strong here. So you take that. There was, there was never any, um, headbutting or, uh, I'm, this is how we're going to do it. It's never been that way. And then my experience in the church as well, I've led worship personally myself, not just like part of the band, but led, led the worship for years and years and years. And so while I did not experience any form of being uh, squelched or or put down or lessened in any way. Um, the explanation in scripture was almost like a, a parent saying to a child, just because I said so, where there wasn't really like a, a clarity as to why or an explanation as to why it was just a um, nobody ever said that, like just because it just because God said, but that was sort of the understanding. It wasn't super clear to me why it had to be that way. And so listening to this series, there's been a lot of things I've gone, oh, man, that makes sense. That really makes sense. So while my experience has not been one of being um, sidelined in any way because I'm a woman, I, I have really resonated with uh, the explanations of what Paul meant uh, so it's, that's, I've really appreciated it. Long story there. Ada here chiming in. Um, Molly, I really appreciate you sharing that. I'm sitting here nodding and you can't see me, but I'm nodding as you're speaking these words. My experience is a little bit different than yours, but I'm just coming to understand what that experience has been. I also had been married for over 30 years, going on 36 now, and there was nothing in my marriage that um, used scripture to put me in any particular place, but it was a, has been and was a very dysfunctional marriage, and I was so active in the church and seeking counsel and seeking wisdom. And it's, I've just come to understand partly through what I've been hearing and my own self-reflection that there was a very subtle message for me all along in the last 30 some years that if I would just be a better wife and do be a better Christian and 
um, submit more and let go of my own desires and will that the marriage would be better. And it, it, I can't say that the what part of the church doctrine influenced that, but it was definitely an indoctrination in believing that my value as a woman was not as great as a man. And therefore, I didn't, my needs were not to be at the same level. And so I can't, I'm not saying the church did this to me. I suppose part of it was my own belief system. And I'm learning more about how my beliefs maybe were erroneous. Sorry, I'm, I'm kind of processing out loud as I'm speaking these words. So just take it with a grain of salt, please. Yeah, I, I just would want to chime in and say, I feel you. Um, made me feel a little emotional to hear you describe that. Um, because it's funny, I, 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 my parents had a terrible marriage, just bad. And I grew up in a house where we were, I mean, on the outside, it was great. Um, but I was the adult at home, really. And so I didn't have an example of, of a good Christian marriage. Um, that was like, well, I, did, I mean, certainly I did within our communities and, um, you know, but not in my immediate home. Um, and so then I would, I would hear all these things like to trust, you know, that man is the head of the household. And that was like, well, that's terrifying. <laughs> that's a that's a really scary um, premise for me because this person that, and I my you know, to the caveat now, my family is, is healthier now uh, with my parents no longer being married. And I have a lot of respect for them, but that phase of their life, I'm sure that they are also still ashamed of. And they were really trying to shoehorn into these like power dynamics because that they thought that would save them, that would save their marriage. And I just, I distrusted it in practice from the beginning. Um, and as, as we were talking, I was just thinking my, my grandma uh, is Catholic or was Catholic. She passed a long time ago and my dad's mom and we we're super close. And I told her that this was part of my rebellion in high schools. I was going to get confirmed Catholic. Um, I thought she would be really excited about it. And I was like, you know, I was rebelling by becoming more religious, which I think is really funny. Um, and she said to me, you know, um, I like it. I like the church. Um, you don't have to be Catholic. And she's like, I am, but you don't have to be Catholic. And she's like, listen, I got a few bones to pick with Paul when I get to heaven, like, I don't know what that guy's been talking about. She's, I mean, and she just lived her life in a way that was, I think she like saw the selective literalism in teaching and she's like, well, I can play that game. And so she really honed in on like serving the poor and, and teaching prisoners to read and like all these other things that women weren't supposed to do. She's like, eh, I'm going to do it anyway. Cause it's good. Um, and I think her example bolstered me for the very early years of my marriage where neither of us fit the traditional implicated roles, whether or not they're, they're prescriptive roles. The things that people expected was that, um, my, 
um, my husband would be more outgoing and be more of like a leader and, and I would be more homemaker, helper, nurturer, and we are opposite. Um, it's, it's like, it's a running joke with a lot of couples friends that like my girlfriends are like, man, Julia, I could be married to you cause you are, you sound like my husband, um, and vice versa. And, and it's for a long time. And we just felt like that was a curse for us. We would be really worried oh, are we going to be okay? Like, and we tried really hard, like Tyler to lead our family spiritually and Tyler to lead this and that. And really at the end of the day, like the strengths that he provides are so beautiful and so strong, but they're not those things. And I'm really like, I was like our student body president and I'm a talker and I'm like, I need attention or I die like Tinkerbell. Like that's the kind of stuff that I, I do putting him in that place was very toxic. And when we finally were like, you know what? I don't know how to live like this. We, we kind of just stopped feeling the shame of it. And I, I feel like our marriage had a chance to survive then and, and since then grow. But I, I think we would have really choked it out if we had kept trying to fit something we thought was biblical. Hey, Brian, do you know anyone that was once a teenage fundamentalist? Oh, Troy, you know that I was because you and I have a podcast called I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. I did know that. But you know what I find myself asking these days? No, I don't, but I think you're going to tell me. What about all those things that church gave us definite answers for? What are we supposed to think about all those things now? Well, funnily enough, that's what we're doing for season five of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. Oh, Brian, I sense the Lord at work here. He works in mysterious ways. And we are going to unpack these things. We're going to find out what we do think about them now. So tune in to Season 5 of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, the official podcast for the Azusa Street Revival. (laughs) Um, I'm not quite sure that's true, but it is available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, yeah, from my perspective, it's funny because I don't really like Paul, so I don't, (laughs) I, I sort of, um, gloss over a lot of his teachings on this issue. I think for me, um, when I went on staff with InterVarsity, we did an in-depth study of Genesis. And, um, one thing that really has always struck me is, um, so there's that verse, Genesis 2, 18, and the Lord said, "It, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. And um, we talked about how the word help meet in Hebrew um, is this like Hebrew word ezer, uh, which is the same word that is used to describe God as he is helping Israel. And so in my head, that always actually put the man, is, I mean, sorry, the woman as being superior to the man. So um, because he needs help and she's there to help him. But I feel like the way things have evolved and the way we, we interpret that now is that the woman is diminutive to the man. Um, you know, we're like his secretary or his assistant in a very like um, pejorative way. But actually, I kind of see it as no, we're actually really, really capable and the man is needing our help. Um, and therefore, that's why, you know, we, we've been put here. Um, so it's sort of, I feel like I have a little bit of a complementarian theology, but it's like the opposite of, of the normal complementarian theology. Um, 
And but at the same time, I, I think this way, and I'm I'm single, still not married, and, and sometimes I wonder how much of it is the fact that um, I have this frame of thinking that I'm not married because I I think the church tends to attract men who are more traditional, um, sort of are more misogynistic, want to sort of put women in their place and have women you know submit to them in the very you know secular view of submission um and it's not really about the biblical like yeah submission service means dying um for one another and um we're called to all do it for each other and it's it's a very high calling and it's not it's not about power in the way that we think about it um but anyway that's so anyway i I come from more of the this other theology that i'm not even sure if it's theology but this other view that you know we are women are here to help, but we're not we're not somebody's you know secretary, and um, we should be valued and respected for what we contribute and not ignored. I think I can I can see that as well. Even even the term when you think of complementary, it's like uh, your strengths, my strengths. Uh, but I. I, I get that it's it's out there that that there is this um, taking something to an extreme. Um, it just hasn't been my experience. But I think the thing that I'm I'm hearing is if that doctrine could be used in a way taken to an extreme to hurt people, then is that doctrine something that uh, that that would have come from Christ? If a if a doctrine could be taken and twisted in such a way that somebody can be put down and um, held back and abused, not just, not just held back, but literally abused because of that doctrine, then that's what, I, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Then is that doctrine something from Christ? Because that isn't who Christ is. So while I have not personally seen in my own husband, not, not the men around me, I mean, I just, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm in a perfect church, I don't know, but I just don't see that happening to people around me. But if it is happening, then I think, I think, I think we're right. We have to, we have to say then, is something wrong with that doctrine? Is that, is something wrong with that way of thinking? You know, this is an interesting um, subject to talk about because the complementarians will tell you that if if the husband is doing the right thing, he's going to be um, loving his wife as Christ loves the church. Okay. And so if a husband is doing that, obviously he's not going to be taking advantage of his wife. He's not going to be using this position over his wife to rule or to abuse in any way. However, Within the groups that happen to teach this, there are men for, who, for some reason, are prone to um, needing control, and they will use that doctrine to feed that desire, and it can lead to abuse. So we know that there are certain husbands who are prone to need control. There are also pastors who feel that same need. And so consequently, if a wife goes to the pastor and says, I'm having trouble in my marriage, my husband is being abusive, 
that particular pastor may say, are you being submissive? And, and just keep on using those same um, Bible verses. Are you obeying your husband? Are you allowing him to be the head? Because if you're not doing that, then of course your marriage is gonna be out of sync and you're gonna have issues. Um, so some of these pastors who teach this don't even have a grasp of abuse within a marriage or how um, husbands can use that position of authority to abuse and harm. So when you're in that kind of a church that teaches complementarianism and they're prone to have that need to control, that's where there's a lot of problems. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, Molly, you probably were at a church where you have pastors that are healthy and are promoting husbands laying down their lives for their, mm-hmm. uh, for their wives. And you probably don't see that. So mm-hmm. that's great. Um, so it's probably the other kinds of churches where perhaps there's a pastor who's authoritarian, has that need to control. He passes that along to the congregation, that kind of thing. Right. Right. I hope that makes sense. I was just going to say, I, I had an experience in a church where um, that what it, it really wasn't common to have a complementarian perspective. But when there was a conflict that arose with one of the pastors, he texted my husband and told him he needed to get control of me. And so sometimes that deep um, just perspective of, of power can actually, it can kind of not be necessary to visit very often. Um, but then when you apply a little heat and pressure, uh, it comes out as sort of like, a weakness or, or just like a, a fix all like this woman was out of line, you know? And, and I remember we both read that and we're like, what? This is the man who actually officiated our wedding and did our premarital counseling. And so we were like, wait, what? <laughs> why does this take control? Um, but I think there was just this base, like, okay, I don't like what she's saying. And so let's just remember who's really in charge here. Um, and so sometimes it's, it's just like this, autopilot thing that can kind of creep up too, even if you think that you have a, a pretty progressive mindset. It, I, I always like to question, how do you propose me getting control over my wife? <laughs> you know, really? Because <laughs> my pastor said the same thing to my husband too. It's like, really? <laughs> how, how is he going to do that? <laughs> Can I ask um, a very basic question in a definition of complementarianism? Because right now it sounds like we're talking about it in regards to a marital relationship. But I think it has broader definition than that to my understanding of it was that it's the role of women in the world, in the church, that we are to complement men rather than be equal to them. Or can you help me understand how we're defining that term? I think I think about it, yeah, in the context of um, marital relationship, but also in church leadership. So the idea that, like, in some churches, women um, can't be pastors or they can't, you know, they can't ever teach in front of a co-ed adult congregation. There are lots of different variations on that. But, I, yeah, I kind of see it applying to church leadership, not just marriage. 
I think it's when you're using complementarian versus egalitarian, those I believe are referencing a specific type of marriage. And the way I understand complementarianism, um, it's about men and women have different roles, it, according to them. And so a woman can do certain things, but she cannot do other things. Um, and so they're, they're distinct roles and you really don't cross the boundaries on, on some of these issues. And egalitarian is saying everything is equal. You know, um, the roles are equal. It, there's there's no hierarchy. So in complementarianism, a husband would be they would say husband has is the head of the home, um, where woman is to submit, and you know she can never be the head of the home. She can never be equal in the home. She always has to be beneath him. So there it is a, a specific um, way of looking at marriage. The context of marriage. Can I ask Tim and Nate to chime in when you, your definition of complementarian versus egalitarian is this a, a term broader a broader term used in church hierarchy as well or just in a marital relationship? I guess because I've seen now in my my indoctrination that I have lived out a very non-egalitarian approach in believing that women did not serve the same role in the church as men did. So can you chime in one of you two guys as to what that definition encompasses? Uh, I can just share sort of how I've construed it and maybe um, uh, this could be just helpful in uh, creating some common language in the, the discussion, but uh, similar to what Emily shared, uh, I think there are not just two tiers, but three. And I, I think there's kind of a sliding scale of complementarian ideology. But so the first one is what's been addressed is, is marriage and specifically in a sexual romantic marriage relationship between men and women, what the roles are and what equality or is, is there hierarchy there. Two is in the church. So can women be elders? Can women be pastors? Can women be small group leaders? Can women be church treasurers? can women be dot, dot, dot in the church? And various churches will take various uh, positions on where they draw the line. But the default through most of church history is that women are excluded from some positions of leadership. So for instance, women have never been ordained in the Catholic church or the Eastern Orthodox church. And it's uh, still rare in Protestant churches for women to be ordained as, as pastors, ministers. But then there's the third tier, which I think is kind of furthest out on that scale, uh, <coughs> excuse me, which is just more a broader cultural application of gender. And so that's the, the realm where people will ask the question, should Christian women even be police officers? Because that would be women exercising authority over men in the public sphere that is, according to ideas of gender roles, is not what a good Christian woman should be doing. So it's asking the question, should women uh, work as elected officials? Should women be school presidents? Uh, all those sorts of questions. So I think three tiers of individual relationships, church community, and broader worldwide application of gender. Uh, you can kind of see this ideology 
play out. So maybe it could just be helpful to to tackle sort of one of those spheres at a time or just sort of highlight, you know, which we're talking about or even push back on that way of construing things and that definition, if you like. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate that um, definition. I, I have thoughts about the church and have come to realize that I've held some beliefs that I didn't realize I was even holding on to probably very subtly. And Tim reminded me of a conversation we had several years ago where I actually claimed that a particular church wasn't valid because there was a female pastor. And I don't even remember that, but apparently I held that belief. And I'm not sure where that came from, but it must have been from my upbringing or my my church time. But it just made me think, if we go back to Genesis, and yes, God created man and woman, and a woman is a helpmate, and I totally appreciate your perspective on that, Emily. Yet, all of Old Testament shows us that women were very much devalued and put as second class to men. So Paul, what has been perceived as Paul's view up until hearing these last six episodes has been the widely held belief of all of Israel and God's people. So it may would make sense that people would interpret Paul's words along those lines. I'm just throwing that out as food for thought. I'm not saying I agree with that. Anybody want to comment on that? I was just thinking when Tim was giving the explanation there, and then Ada, when you were talking as well, uh, I maybe up until uh, this week, I would have been quite comfortable with the first two tiers that you described. But the the third tier, that's like, I mean, I've never even never even thought of that, hadn't even heard of that until I started doing a little searching and digging around. Um, that that uh, that that was something that people would like take outside the church. I would have thought that was just like uh, s- that was something um, that we as Christians would look at, you know, in our marriages, and then maybe even in the not maybe, but in the the leadership of the church. But outside of that, because I mean, I guess I, I looked at it as a a thing that God set up for. Christian marriages and for his church that it would run this certain way, that a marriage would run this certain way, kind of as a representation, but outside of the church, it's like, wow, that's like, that really then is like saying you're lesser than, not as smart as, not as uh, capable. Uh, that, that feels more like that to me, taking it to that level. Yeah. I think like it's hard because if you, if you believe something at your core, so if you believe, it, it's sort of like an, an identity thing. I, I think when I, I, I guess I kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'll confess, like I, I have a really hard time with a lot of the Bible. So I basically don't read anything that's not read um, or basically not the book of John um, because I've, I just sit there and I, it's so inconsistent. It reminds me of, people who've been really manipulative. Um, and a lot of the things that are said about women, it makes me feel like I was born wrong, 
you know, and I have a lot of privilege. I have a lot of privilege compared to so many other folks that face a lot of more steep uphill climbs. But um, like I, I growing up always got in trouble for talking. That was the <laughs> thing that got me in trouble the most. I spoke out. I said things. Um, but it, you know, there's like decorum you should learn. But you know, I I carry just this anxiety that like I'm out of line and I'm being shrill or I'm being all of these things that you hear women described as. And you think about, you know, Eve ushering in sin, original sin and like her existence, her, her naivety, her hunger is what made, you know, us sinful. At least that's what I was taught. And, you know, you'd hear about Catholics kind of worshiping Mary and praising Mary. And that was like, that was a very negative reason to not be a Catholic that would like, she doesn't deserve this position. And God is, is a father and, and there's nothing, you know, like it just, everything felt very reductive. And so you carry that a little bit with you. I mean, I hear what you're saying is there's like kind of this intimate thing that maybe was set up for the community of Christ, but if we're meant to share that and we're meant to take our lives outside of the church, it's really hard to not let it seep into, should I talk? Should I aspire to anything at work? Is it bad that I'm, you know, not at home and, and, and not that I'm even wanting to work, that I, I have this desire is that, you know, and, and I was sort of taught like those are things inside of you that are like Jezebel spirits. I mean, when you think of the famous women of the Bible, they're cautionary tales, and so I think those are the things that are really hard for me when, I mean, I, 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 again, just like point to my grandma where she was like, I don't know, it seems like everyone's kind of playing the selective literalism game. So I'm going to just stay close to God. And, and I think I, I feel insecure in my faith a lot of the time because I just, I just reject a lot of those things that feel false. Um, but, but then sometimes I'm like, well, how much of this am I cherry picking with my faith like how true is my faith if I can just you know wholesale discount some of these things but when I do then go back to it it's really hard to believe like there's a lot of good to come from believing this stuff as a woman and I and I have a situation where I have a very able husband who can provide for our family and all these great things but I like I want to work but I always I always think about people whose husbands maybe are disabled or unable to work or unable to play into that place and do they spend the rest of their life with that kind of burden on their shoulders I mean I, I know that some people do they just feel like oh we, we must have done something wrong um to be where we are in this place and I'm speaking about people that I know from growing up and and stuff and so I think like it does feel just like the perspective of women at all coming from the church and coming from um just a history of not really knowing how to read these things I guess it's interesting to consider the three tiers that Tim mentioned in the church, in the, in the home, in the marriage relationship, in the church, and then in the broader world community. But I think it needs to, if, if we call ourselves followers of Christ and believers, and we feel that this, and believe that this is God's call on all the worlds and all the nations, we have to extrapolate our beliefs out to the world. And if it's good in our home, then would it also be good in the world? And I'm, I'm just, again, just pondering these thoughts as we're talking about them. I'm sure many of us have experienced that glass ceiling. And if we've been out in the workforce at all, we've, we've seen and felt the disparity between 
salaries and job opportunities. And Mm. for a long time, I embraced that I'm a woman in my role. I've given the, I've been given this gift of ability to bear children and that's very special. And that's my real role in the world. And I should just be happy with that. And yet I know now in my later years that I have so much more to offer the world above and beyond that, not that that devalued that. And I, I think it was false of me to believe that that was all my value was or to, to try to put that out on other women, such as to my belief that women didn't belong in the armed forces because their, woman, their place was at home with bearing children. That... I still I still struggle with that because I personally would not want to go to war. But who's to say that somebody else isn't gifted in that regard? So I think it's interesting to look at this from the perspective of all three of those tiers that were outlined in all of those realms. Can I just say that I'm I'm a little bit um, uncomfortable with saying I'm, I'm so on board with equal. I'm so there. But I, I sometimes feel like we slide from equal to same. And I totally don't think that men and women are the same. Mm-hmm. And so even Ada, when you talk about um, women staying home with children, I mean, I think there's a lot of uh, weight on, this, on the side of women being uh, maybe generally more nurturing uh, than men. I don't want to like come out and say all women are nurturing, all men are hunter gatherers, whatever. I'm, I'm not, I don't feel that. But, but there are some like, um, there are some things that are typically uh, female, typically male. And when some of the conversations that I hear sometimes feel like, no, we have to be completely the same in everything. Men and women are completely the same. And I can totally get behind completely equal, but I, I don't think we're completely the same. I agree with you, Molly. I, I hear what you're saying, and I apologize if what I, if the words I spoke didn't say that. Oh no! I'm just trying to. I, I'm in this in a in a transition. It's kind of a shift, partly because Tim and Nate's conversations have opened my mind to new new ways of thinking. I still struggle. Like that was my example with the armed forces. If, if I had a daughter and she told me she was leaving her, you know, one-year-old baby and going off to war, I would be devastated from, mul- from multiple perspectives, multiple ways. It wouldn't be a choice that I would make. I, I ha- that's the example that I can come up with. I still w- do believe in my heart, and I'm not sure that it has anything to do with complementarianism versus egalitarianism, this conversation, but I do believe that women have most women, many women have a special gifting of nurturing with children. And those first few years are the best time for um, a woman to be at home with her children. But that's not always the possibility. So just know, I, I agree with you on that way. I'm not, I'm not arguing that I'm just putting out all of these different thoughts that are going through my head right now. No, that's good. That's, that's good. I'm not pushing back necessarily just on what you said, maybe just like the conversations that I'm hearing uh, everywhere, you know, mm-hmm. just pushing back on that a little bit, that um, does, does equal have to mean same? Can, can it be equal but different? 
So if we take it back to the church realm, so how would equal be equal and not be the same? So challenging my past belief that women could not be pastors. I I don't know now why I thought that other than perhaps just the teaching and indoctrination of the church. But is that a realm where women that God could call a woman to be a pastor in the church? Is that equal and the same or is it different? Oh, um, could we just put a pin in that for a second? I, before we move on to that, I just wanted to respond um, about women. Uh, there, you know, women being different from men, which I agree, there are like probably general differences between men and women. Um, but I kind of want to challenge like, and obviously I don't have kids and I'm not married. So, but I, I feel like there's this default that we assume that women um, should stay at home with the kids they're more nurturing. At the same time, I see both a lot of kids who are now adults messed up because they didn't have dads that were involved enough in their lives. Boys who can't man up because they didn't have that paternal influence. I also um, have a friend who is a stay-at-home dad, and his kids are like the best kids I've ever met in my life. Um, and I, I don't know. I just kind of want to push back on the sort of stereotype that, you know, women should stay at home with their kids and raise them and, um, you know, focus on having kids. I, I feel like I've seen good marriages where people, both the man and the woman work and they're both equally involved in their kids' lives. And maybe the, the woman has a little bit more um, responsibility for the child rearing, but it's not, I don't know, I just feel like there's a lot of pressure in churches for women to stay at home and, and not work and be with their kids and the, you know, one woman who is working is sort of stigmatized. And I'm, I'm not even sure that there's like empirical evidence showing that women make better parents than men. I just wonder if men have been socialized to think, oh, I don't need to do this. Like, you know, it's, that's the woman's realm. My realm is to like conquer the world. Um, and, you know, so anyway, I just kind of want to challenge that because I just don't know how much of that is real versus what has been imposed by like centuries of tradition and patriarchal thinking. That's a very valid challenge, Emily. And I admit that my, my viewpoints come from a perspective of myself being one of those women who just loved being with my children, but I wasn't able to, and I had to work. And I have a lot of regrets about that. So that's my own perspective that's thrown into the into my um, my viewpoint. I'm not even going to claim that that's the right answer or the um, command for all women. It just comes from my perspective of feeling like I missed out on so much with my own children, and I didn't have. I see in my own children what you describe, where um, husbands can be incredible fathers. I just didn't see it in my particular life, my, my parenting situation. Um, but I think it's a very valid challenge and I appreciate you speaking. it. I um, also think this is an interesting topic to kind of consider because as you were talking while I was nodding, like, yeah, men and women are, are not the same. Um, you know, I don't, I had a, a CFO at a company I worked at told me that in her early career, she 
worked really hard to do things like the men to be taken seriously to the point of like having an androgynous haircut and dressing very masculine to be considered equal. And she was very disappointed in, in how that impacted her, you know, self-perspective and all these things. And that she said, I just needed to be more woman. I needed to be more of a woman to be happy. And so I think there's something true. Like there's nothing the like feminine embodiment is a good thing and it's a gift. I would say we have, we can make people. It's really fascinating. Um, and cool. It's like a superpower, but I also have a hard time. I, um, deciding what I would think is actually demonstrably different. Um, and I, I'm very, um, passionate about, uh, I, I work and I love to work and I think I'm a happier, nicer wife when I work and we are talking about starting a family and everything about that is about, um, how, how are we going to, you know, do this or, you know, but my husband is, um, he's as excited to take time and off and, and have paternity. And he, you know, when he looks at work situations, like he looks at how they provide family leave. And I'm pretty passionate about the reality that, um, if you don't treat something as a woman's problem, then it actually gets a lot of uh, support elsewhere. And so if you don't treat maternity leave as woman's time off, but you know, you treat it as parental leave and everyone takes it, then you're not, you know, hiring someone who's a, a flight risk because they're a woman of childbearing age. Um, you're, you know, you have all these things that they're just like subtle. I, I think my biggest, my biggest issue, I think with like gendered, um, norms is, is the like death by paper cuts that happen and the punishment that happens just by virtue of being female. Um, where it's like, it's, it's not necessary for us to all agree that I, so I think I'm rambling. I'm kind of going back. I, I agree with the, the kind of the ethos of what you're saying is we're not the same. And that's actually part of the beauty of um, men and women existing in, in this like separate nature. It's it's really, you know, male and female are, are, are made to to coexist. That's super cool and beautiful. But I don't really think I, I know where I would feel comfortable saying that we're not the same at the same time, if that makes sense. Like I, I have a little bit of a cognitive dissonance in myself in that concept. I'll have to ponder that. A lot of these thoughts are pretty new to me, you know, <laughs> they're pretty new. And, and I think that, um, Ada for you and I both, um, you know, we, we are from a generation apart here where, um, some of our ideas may be tradition more than truth. And so I'm, I'm really trying to pick apart some different things and, separate the tradition from the truth. I really only want to hold to the truth, you know? I keep thinking back to uh, when I started my family. Um, we started our family, I should say, in, let me see, eight, 1986. Um, I, at that time, it, it was very traditional for moms to stay at home, raise their the children, and um, you know, even if you listen to Focus on the Family, uh, you know, different shows like that on the radio, um, that was that was kind of the expected way. Um, you know, the husbands would work and the wives would stay home. Um, interestingly, um, my husband was in the Navy and we moved to the Philippines in 1988. 
And, you know, the economy is not the same there as it is here. And I, all women work, um, and, unless you're of the upper class. But it, it dawned on me how that was the evangelical expectation in the U.S. Um, women stay home and the men work. But why, if this is a Christian concept, is that not applying to the whole world? And and that kind of got me thinking. Um, you know, it's what what is this about? You know, why why are we having different rules for the U.S. versus you know third world countries? I mean, it, is the Bible applicable to all nations at the same time, or do we you know pick and choose? So you know that kind of opened up my eyes to thinking. Hmm, maybe this isn't exactly right. And I think that was the beginning of, you know, just looking at things a little bit differently. I was got I was very thankful for that experience. Um, but you know, I still got that same teaching, you know, of course, when I moved back to the States and and really much so in, especially in the homeschool movement, that was really strong. Of course, the, the moms are taking care of their kids and, and teaching them as well. So yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting just to think about that concept. And then also the idea where pastors were saying, you know, women shouldn't do this, they, sh- they can do this, the different things that they could do in church. And it seemed like Really, the only thing women could do was, you know, work in the nursery, taking care of the children, or maybe the, ch- um, you know, the Bible studies for children or Sunday schools for children. But, you know, beyond that, oh, the kitchen, of course. But beyond that, where where could we use our gifts? Oh, oh, I think I could use it in music ministry. Um, most of my experience, I couldn't lead. Um, in music ministries. So, you know, we were just very limited. So that that's another thing. Um, that was, you just kind of have to shut up at church. Basically, um, you, you fit into the slots that are designed for you, supposedly. And that's, that's what you get. And, you know, we just kind of had to put up with that. Um, and I, I, now I'm just thinking, what a waste. It's so sad that women have been squelched to that degree that they can't express themselves. They can't express their gifts or utilize their gifts. I, I just think it's been a waste now, now knowing what I know. And um, I, I just hope that this conversation continues and more women and more men are, are, are digging deeper and trying to get to the truth. Thank you, Julianne. I, I just wanted to throw out a question that Julianne kind of prompted in my mind. I've been thinking in my own re- history, have I been held back from some area of ministry or some work that I wanted to do that I wasn't allowed to in the church? I'm just speaking in the church realm because of my gender. And I know I've heard words like I was allowed to teach in a women's Bible study because we had the covering of the male pastor even though he wasn't necessarily there because we were in the church, we had his covering. But I'm curious, have any of the rest of you experienced areas in the church where you've actually been held back from what you felt you were called to do? 
Um, for me, I worked in a parachurch context with university. So they had a, I mean, because they were, they're not technically a church, they didn't feel the complementarian theology applied to the way they did things. So I always felt really empowered in, in that ministry context. Um, but at churches, it was a bit different. Um, definitely, I, I was at a church where I felt like they were a little bit trying to have their cake and eat it. So like in our church, we had a lot more women than men. Um, and so the work had to be done by somebody. And um, they had the office of deacon where, you know, they would officially install men to serve as deacons, but there weren't that many men. So they then they created the secondary office called deaconess, which is technically different. It's not officially recognized by the denomination. Um, and, you know, but it's the exact same roles and responsibilities. It's just that women would be um, in that office instead. So women could serve in that role, but they weren't receiving um, the same official recognition, which I actually found super frustrating because in my head, it's either, you know, you stick with the theology and you only have deacons and that's it, or you actually officially install women and men alike and you don't create this sort of fake secondary office because um, it, it felt so exploitative. Um, but it was sort of just the reality that the work needs to be done and there's more women than men who are willing to do it. And so churches need to figure out how to, to work around the complementarian theology. Uh, but it just seemed like a bad, like a hypocritical or I don't know, just a bad, really bad workaround. My experience uh, might not speak to the whole church that we were part of but um when we started going to, to church um here in san francisco um we really thought that we moved to san francisco because we thought god really wanted us here um and big part of that was just like making sure that we opened our home up to people which at the time was very small and humble um and we we're really eager to do that. But again, I, I'm much more outgoing and excited to start that kind of project. My husband, at, and actually more at the time, I would say at, the, at this point in time, he's, he's pretty down to, to be a little more engaged and vocal. But at the time it was like, I was ready and eager and let's, let's get conversations rolling. And about three or four different people, as I was really trying to get involved in this church, just kept asking me what my husband's strengths were. He was like, but I'm here. I'm the one who came to the office today. He's like, he's great, but can we talk about like, you know, what I what I'm really excited about and trying to lean into? And it was like, yeah, well, maybe like, yeah, maybe he could lead a group. And and it was one of those things where we were like, well, we want to do this. Like, we want to be part of of this together. Um, and then and. We also were involved in another community where it just felt like a lot of the conversations, uh, men and women would divvy out to talk, you know, and that's okay. And and I do love uh, having conversations with just women. Um, there's a lot of value in that sort of sisterhood. Um, but every time it really felt like, well, this, this content um, has a different application based on who you are. And so let's split out and talk and we both kind of would go home and be like, 
it's kind of weird that we can't have this, like, we don't have the same experience of this group together. Like we constantly are, are divvied out. And I think those were, those were the only really marked times where I felt like, okay, you go over here because this is what your gender is. And you go over here because of yours. Um, but yeah, by and large, I would feel like most of my experience has been very empowering and encouraging, um, aside from kind of those two moments. So am I hearing correctly that the view of the church to the complementarian role is very subtle for others, not just for me? I was just going to say, yeah, it almost feels like it's this um, fail safe, like things can be going really well. And as soon as there's a question or a challenge to it, you're kind of like, well, I don't know. It's, it seems like it's sort of like a back pocket thing more than like an overt um, specific thing. Yeah, I guess it wasn't, I didn't, it did not feel subtle at the church I was a part of at all. I mean, given that all the elders um, were male, you could not be part of the um, the session if you were female. And then, um, you know, basically when I asked like, oh, well, where, you know, how do women have a voice in policymaking at the church? And they're like, oh, well, all the elders are married. So by default, they're representing their wives' points of view, yeah. which I thought was a stupid answer. Um, and ultimately, I'm like, well, no, that's not really satisfactory. And also, I'm not really sure that I trust their wives to really represent the women at our church and their points of view. Um, and, you know, it was very much baked into the church theology that, you know, clearly men um, would be in, in leadership. So I don't know, it was not definitely not subtle. The complementarian theology was out in front and center. I think it varies. Uh, I, I definitely think it varies. If you are talking about churches that have to do, uh, that are connected with nine marks, Acts 29, uh, the Gospel Coalition, um, Calvinist churches, Reformed churches, those churches for sure are going to be very open about what women can and cannot do. And many of them will be very strict. Um, other churches, uh, you may, you'll never hear the word. I didn't even know what the word was uh, until I started blogging and I had to, what is this? Um, you know, it just, I didn't get it. I mean, we would hear women submit to your husbands, but it was like, it, it was done in a loving way. It, it didn't seem abusive or anything like that. Um, if nobody was was saying, you know, husbands are heads of the home. I mean, that type of t conversation just didn't happen. The topic was, you know, are we making a difference in the world? You know, the conversation was not really about um, the roles of husband and wife, uh, unless you were going maybe on a marriage retreat or something like that. So I, I think you're going to get a lot of different answers depending on who you talk to and and what denomination and that kind of thing. I think for me, the the hard part is just belonging anywhere that um, in the back of my mind, I just know that I'm being thought of as secondary. Um, and that's the feeling that I, that's a memory that I have. It's the feeling I took away. Um, so it's, it's less about, you know, again, being someone who has really struggled to read the Bible. That's one of my things that I've been kind of uh, soul searching on lately, regardless of, of what teachers are saying about, about why I'm secondary is, is going to raise eyebrows for me. It's going to give me reason to pause where I'm going to say, well, why, <laughs> like, why is that important to classify and to structure and to divvy out that way, 
you know, if, if we've all died to ourselves anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. I think the problem is we haven't really died to ourselves <laughs> and that that's why, I mean, I just feel like every church I go to, um, the way that it's hierarchical, the way that power is aggregated, it just demonstrates over and over that like the church generally subscribes to a really secular view of hierarchy and power. Um, and it's not about like serving and giving up your life for others. And so I think that's why this whole like feeling secondary, that feeling persists because it just, it's a reflection of where people's hearts are. And to me, churches seem to be more about building the institution. It's about the ego of the head pastor who's trying to grow his congregation. It's about the money they bring in. So much of it is more about that than empowering people and loving them and helping them live out their strengths. Um, so I feel like, you know, the, the way that complementarian theology is expressed is just a symptom of a much deeper brokenness. I, I'm just looking back at the notes that Nate had sent out of one of the questions that I would be curious to hear all everyone answer is, what specifically do Christian men and male pastors really need to hear in regard to this conversation? I think that they need to hear that our voice has as much value as men's voices and that we represent 50% of the population um, and to do, to not hear from us is just basically shutting us out. I'm going to go back to the, the term that I use, tradition versus truth. Um, and I, that's, that's always been what I want to get to the bottom of. And I feel like, uh, you know, being raised in the church, it's, it's super hard for me to separate tradition from truth. And it's frustrating, very frustrating to me, because sometimes I don't know who to listen to. I don't know where to find the truth, because you may read these verses and say this, and you may read these verses and you say this, and I just want to know the truth. And so where I am right now is somewhat, who's giving the better explanation, right, of, of these verses? And that's what I'm sorting through. And I have a perspective that says uh, the people that have taught me throughout the years have been loving and kind. They love Jesus. They, they want to serve Jesus. They may have been taught something that is not truth and then pass that on to me. And so I think it is so important that the pastors hear what what the truth is if it isn't the tradition that we've always been taught. Does that make sense? My my point is I don't think it was a in my case the people in my sphere it was not a malicious attempt to hold women down. Yeah, I I think that's I think that's generous. I I think that's a good perspective and a and a place to kind of bring ourselves back to like there's you'd have more generosity I think to men who maybe have participated in in something with good intention um i i also think you know the repression of women probably represents in the, in the church culture repression of of men as well where they feel like they can't be softer 
or that they can't live into other more nurturing places that maybe they'd like to, they feel like they have to have this like climb a mountain, slay a dragon manhood, but it actually, you know, being a man, being masculine, being like Christ is actually a permission to be gentle and um, to put others first. And I think, I think there's a dichotomy there where you, you know, you see, you know, Jesus being so kind and so, uh, you know, holding the children and doing all these wonderful, beautiful things. And then it's like, I grew up in Colorado. There was a, a pastor in Colorado Springs that was very well known for these sort of like beat your chest, get your manhood back kind of retreats. And, and, you know, it, I think that's also very limiting and, um, and it just doesn't let someone be a whole version of themselves in their, when they're forced into a gender role either. I, I think I would want to say to male pastors and male Christians who maybe feel defensive of this conversation is it's not, it's not you, you're not wrong. You didn't, maybe you are, but you're, you're learning too. Like we're all just figuring this out and, and like, we're not, we're not coming for you. You're not bad. Um, it's more just, we all, we all want to be a more whole version of ourselves and, and maybe having empathy as, as something that doesn't feel like feminism offers right away. Um, but I think it's important. Like there's, there's empathy here that we know that what it feels like to be pushed into a, a box. Yeah. I think it's important to be gracious and realize that they too have, um, been taught probably the same way we've been taught. And so they're passing down something that they believe is right in their heart. I mean, they, they're not meaning harm by it. But what I would like to ask pastors to do is to consider, please consider that there may be other interpretations. We're not trying to be malicious when we're saying, I don't believe this in, in this submission stuff anymore. I don't believe in this headship stuff anymore. We're, we're not trying, I'm not trying, I need to speak for myself. I'm not trying to be malicious when I speak loudly and I say, women, go search, search the Bible and watch Jesus, watch how he treats women. Find, dig deeper into Paul and what he's saying and see that he's echoing Jesus. So I'm just saying, pastors, you two look deeper, dig deeper and, and think, would a righteous and holy God want to squelch 50% of the population? When Jesus went to the woman at the well, he, you know, he elevated her, you know, just to talk to her was just amazing. And so considering how Jesus treated women, is there a possibility that what you've been taught is slightly off or, e I mean, even slightly off? Um, can you just listen to some of these biblical scholars? Because there truly are biblical scholars. Um, Philip Payne is one who spent year, decades um, studying this stuff. Um, there's Ron Pierce, a professor at Biola, um, both of those men used to be complementarian. In fact, um, I, I believe it was um, Philip Payne wanted to prove something to the egalitarians. And so it brought him to dig deeper and deeper. And it's like, 
I, I can't go there. Actually, Ron Pierce was the same. I, I know both of them have the same kind of background. And so I'm saying if these men who have given their lives as biblical scholars or professors um, in theology and, and whatever religious capacity, if they uncovered this, could you might also uncover it too? What have you got to lose? That's my encouragement. Actually, I feel like they could they could stand to lose a lot, and that's why they wouldn't want to, um, like in terms of you know power and control. And I, I think, I guess I'm not going to be as generous to men. Um, I'm also coming. I'm a person of color, and I'm looking at this from that lens as well. Um, just overall, white men, whether they are in the church or not, um, a, history has accorded them a lot of power and privilege. And some of them have wielded it well, and others have abused it and oppressed, used it to oppress women. And whether it was cultural, you know, explicit, intentional, or implicit and unintentional, um, there are real consequences, and women continue to suffer to this day. Um, I, I think that men need to take responsibility and, and really take a look, whether they're complementarian or egalitarian. To me, actually, it doesn't totally matter at the end of the day, like I keep thinking of, you know, verses like Ephesians 5.25, like husbands love your wives as, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Like at the end of the day, is a man thinking of himself as a leader who dies for somebody else who serves and gives up? And if that person has that frame, I actually don't care what theology they subscribe to. Um, but I just feel like, I, I don't know, I just don't want let to let men off the hook and be like, hey, just take a look at this. Maybe you'll find something. Like, it's like, no, it's timely and urgent. We've had centuries of women being oppressed and power is on your side. And there's a timely call to share that power and to think about um, the consequences, whether you intended them or not, of this power, this power structure, um, what those consequences have had on women before us and currently and in, in the future. Um, so I, I don't know, I, I definitely want to be empathetic and I know the feminist movement has, you know, come off as very anti-male, but I'm also really concerned about how in a lot of churches, um, they sort of view feminism as like the devil. And, you know, again, I think that's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. There, there's a reason why feminism exists. There's a reason why, because women's rights have been, um, pretty much non-existent for, centuries. And so now, you know, there's this sort of backlash. Um, and obviously any backlash can go too far and we have to wait for the pendulum to swing. But I, I don't really want to speak softly about this. Um, and maybe this is why I have trouble dating in the church and I'm not married, etc. But there, I mean, there has to be a reckoning around this, both from a majority male perspective, majority white perspective. There there needs to be really deep thought about people who are in the minority position, people who lack the power and the resources and what God calls us to in terms of justice and mercy. And I, I think the church, the evangelical American church has not really reckoned with that properly. Uh, you say, Emily, that they have a lot to lose. And yet, if you look at it from the perspective, it's women do not just make up 50% of the church. Women, and I don't know the numbers, but I know women outnumber men in the church. It is women who come to church. 
We drag our husbands and our children along, but it is women who come to the church. Just like in the first century, it was the women who followed Jesus. He didn't ask, have to ask them to follow him. They did because they recognized him. And it was the women who started the church and ran with the church. So if pastors, modern day, white, black, men, you know, color, doesn't matter. But if they empowered the women in their church, I can only imagine how it would grow, how there, even those pastors who are seeking power, if they could just see the power in their congregation, in the women that are there. So it's more than 50%. They are devaluating more than 50% of their congregants. Now, can well, is that a, a right reason to see women of value? No, but if that's that's just speaking to, they have a lot to gain by doing it. I hate to jump in and just uh, because I want this to keep going on. Um, this has been so wonderful and amazing. Two things: one. Um, I think we should probably wrap up the conversation, but um, I also wanted to say, Julia, one of the um, experiences you were talking about was actually a church that I was a leader of. And it's part of the reason I do this show is as, as stuff that I started thinking about changed, um, and Tim and I talk about this a lot, it's almost like a, a chance for us to like say publicly, like and apologize and say sorry for um, our role in some of these things because we did teach and we did um, believe um, this way and that influenced how we how we led the church and so I'm actually remembering what you're talking about and um, and even though like things didn't feel completely right at the time like I never spoke up um, even though I was one of the you know key leaders in that in that church that you were speaking of and so like I just want to say I'm sorry and um, and this conversation around like how can pastors um, you know w- what what's the I don't want to even just say pastors because there are a lot of women pastors out there, but how can male leaders who don't currently see it this way, like what's the message to them? Um, like, yeah, I just wish I had like ears to hear and had, and opened my heart to, to this years before I was like leading the church, I guess. So um, yeah, I just wanted to, to say that. Well, thank you. That was very kind and healing. So I appreciate you saying that a lot and know that I don't harbor any, hard feelings or, or anything towards you from that, but, and totally have all the forgiveness that, that would be necessary there. But I appreciate you saying something that's really meaningful. I think, um, just as we wrap up the conversation, there's, there's like one, and, and I, this is just where I'm at in life in general, but when, uh, I really love St. Francis of Assisi, um, my heart, I like, probably would be Catholic, <laughs> except for the many reasons not to be Catholic, um, because I just love the the letters from the saints. Um, and one of the things that he said was that the world can only catch us by the fringes of our garment. Um, it's sort of like the thing that's going to hold you up is usually not the thing that's most important. And I think that's one of the things I always try to orient myself to. And, and he said it in context of, of very interesting and specific things. So it is dangerous to play this, like this kind of high level prescription to it. But I, I guess like I come to this kind of conversation with that perspective of, you know, it, I do think equality is a core issue. Um, but I also think like, it's always just really important for me to not let those fringes of the garment, like kind of destroy and tear away at, at 
at the really beautiful fabric that that this all is you know meant to be part of and and so um i don't know i just wanted to share that because that's one of the things i was thinking about um, for me, I think I just want to end on the note, like this conversation um, made me want to go look at Proverbs 31, which a lot of times, um, you know, Christians hold up as the ideal woman. And it's fascinating um, because if you actually look at it, there's so much in there that speaks of a really strong woman who's wise, like, you know, verse 26, she opens her mouth with, with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Um, but just the fact that you know, she has a voice and it matters. Um, and, you know, she's respected and praised by her husband and just talks all about her being enterprising and taking care of her family um, and working. And so it really falls very far, like it's very different from what we think of when we think of focus on the family and, and sort of that um, American evangelical ideal of a woman, if you actually dissect Proverbs 31, like to me, this is more the truth than what um, we've been indoctrinated um, by, you know, through those fundamentalist Christian media channels. I'll have to go look again. That's one of the ones I've been like, hmm, it's there, but I don't revisit. <laughs> so I'll have to take another look. <laughs> yeah, no, it's pretty awesome. It's like she... She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She considers a field and buys it. And with the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Yeah. She <laughs> perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. I mean, this is, this is not, you know, anyway, this is not a meek, submissive woman who, who just gives in to all of her husband's whims. It's someone who um, has a mind and is incredibly capable and enterprising. I've really appreciated hearing um, perspectives of everybody, uh, whether whether we all come out and say, okay, yep, we're absolutely like-minded in all of it. You guys have given me so much to think about and ponder, and I, I will. I hope I can sleep tonight, but uh, just thinking through uh, all of the things that you've said and... Uh, and really even what, what my responsibility is as uh, an older woman teaching younger women. Um, so I have a lot to think about. I, I just really grateful for the opportunity to meet these ladies and um, connect and just share our thoughts. And, you know, we all come from a different place and have learned um, maybe different things, but, you know, I think we can all agree that the church can do better about how women are treated and, and um, the level of participation that women are given. So um, I, this conversation is so important. And, and I'm once again, I'm just very grateful to Nate and Tim for offering this opportunity. Okay, well, thank you all for joining. Uh, I feel so honestly appreciative. I feel like this was really, really good for me. Uh, as Nate said, like, Part of why we do the show is not out of some sort of like weird guilt or trying to atone for the past, but uh, like really feel like we have a, a responsibility and a passion to try to uh, pave a better path than, than our early kind of uh, church leadership uh, ministry days. And so uh, just this little opportunity to be able to uh, share our platform 
however you know humble it may be to uh, listen to people that aren't eight and I, and especially to listen to some women uh, share your experiences, your wisdom, your uh, opinions, takes. Uh, I'm just grateful for it, and I think it'll make me uh, a better person. So, thanks for being willing to push back on one another, share some some tense moments and some different uh, experiences, and uh, and being brave in it. So. Julia, Molly, Emily, Julianne, and Mom, last but not least, thank you guys for uh, being here. I shouldn't say thank you guys. This is me perpetuating the patriarchy. Thank you, women, for joining. Thank you. And thank, thank you. you. Bye. Great meeting you guys. Yeah, Bye. Great meeting everybody. Thank you.